0: Hello, my name is Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. Our guest for today's episode of Brick by Brick is risk management expert, Joanna Demetrian. Joanna is currently the head of risk at LandLease in the American region. Joanna leads the development and implementation of risk management strategies, ensuring that risks are identified, assessed, and mitigated effectively across the business. She talks to me about how risk management is more than insurance risk transfer, and really sheds a light on how different regions and countries play a role in risk management. Let's get into it. Hello, thank you for joining me on Brick by Brick. How are you today?
1: I am good. Thank you so much for
0: having me, Jason. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate you joining. One of the things that have become apparent in each episode that I do that risk management is broader than just insurance buying or contractual risk transfer, which is an important element of risk management, but I really wanted to have you on the show when you were presented to me because you do more on the corporate governance side of risk management. So to start, why don't we talk about how you view risk management as a broader spectrum? then maybe some people might view risk management.
1: Sure. So like you said, typically somebody hears the words risk management and they think insurance, contractual compliance. But when you work for an international organization, risk management actually deals with governance. And board governance is one item we deal with. It's depending on the country you're in, Also, there's the regulatory environment and there's Corporations Acts, right? There's, we know our SEC, I work for an Australian company, which is the ASX, and they have a Corporations Act, which has edicts in there that state organizations have to do certain things. One of those is risk, right? And it's really in this simplistic form, what risk is, is evaluating operations and your different business lines, right, and your overall regional management or global management, and identifying risks on a continual basis so you have no surprises. And you have a framework set up for that. Additionally, right, there's the other spectrum, right, which goes more into the protocol, right, the policies and procedures, right, and that specific governance and the authorities that you want in place as an organization. Like, what does a CEO have an authority to do? What does a CFO have an authority to do? What does a project executive have an authority to do? So those are kind of a snapshot, I would say, of what actually risk management is from a governance.
0: Yeah, what's interesting there, and why I want to ask this question about how you got into this field and where you get the experience going backwards from this, because it seems like not only then you have to understand the operational structure of your construction organization or whatever organization you're running, if it's not in construction. And I know in your case it is. But if it's not, and then you have to apply that lens of each of those different governments or agencies that you have to appease to that in different environments. So I'm very interested to dive into that and figure out how do you actually manage all of that? How does a team understand how Australia looks at something different than North America or even California and all these different kinds of elements? But Tell me about your story. How did you end up the person who is in charge and helping operate the business across all of these different requirements?
1: Sure. So I didn't go for a degree in risk management at all. I haven't um, talked to one person
0: who has. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know, right? I feel like you never hear somebody. Very few in that. So for me, it started with my parents. I was telling them they got me into the this business. So my mom decided when I was little that she wanted to go back to Greece and she was basically a developer slash investment manager slash construction manager. And she built apartment tower in Athens, Greece. And I watched her do that and basically manage the day-to-day operations and mitigate the risks there and be innovative, right? Also at the same time. So I just would sit because we lived right across the street, renting an apartment and just watch her. And it just, I thought it was so interesting to me, right? So I think that's what got me here. Fast forward, I go to school. I'm thinking that, you know, I kind of want to be pre-med, right? I like caring for people, helping out. 9-11 happened. And I ended up at ground zero a few days later. And I just felt a I don't want to say it's a calling. I felt a calling like I wanted to go and help rebuild the World Trade Center. Yeah. So I applied to the Port Authority and to Len Lace, who is working on the memorial at the time. And I got to go to Lend-Lease. And I started out in the construction field in New York City, helped build the memorial, which is a very proud moment. And from there, just jumped around because I was interested in operations, right? So that's from the childhood aspect. So I moved around, insurance, and then so happened into, stumbled into risk, right?
0: Yeah is such a powerful story it does seem to be an interest a curiosity that's the common thread between people in the risk world that i've spoken to on this and how it ties to like the physical environments that we're in right that the curiosity of how did that get built who does that work what is the way that it's done and processed right and then ultimately then how does someone actually go into in the case of the 911 memorial uh, pay tribute to something that is very emotional for a lot of people and important to a lot of people. I, I think that's a really interesting way to find yourself here in a in a very natural way. When you think about your approach or, or Lynn Lease's approach to risk management and their values and goals, how important or how much should governance of your risk program be tied to sort of the values and goals of an organization?
1: Heavily tied, right, is the best way.
0: And what's that look like? How do you manage what the values and goals of an organization are? And then how does that trickle down into how you actually operate on a day-to-day basis?
1: So for us, it starts from our purpose, which is to create the best places where communities thrive. So you take that right there, that purpose, and everything then feeds into it within our values and our pillars, right? Respect, trust, diversity, inclusion. So in our world... I would say it is ingrained in us, it's in our DNA. We understand that we are here to provide a positive legacy for generations to come. And I'm not trying to sound corny, but for several years before even sustainability and the environment were topics of discussion, what I like to say, now they're the hot terms, right? Our founder stated that we had to do contribute more to society than just straight economics, that we had to leave a legacy from a people perspective and from an environmental perspective. So that's then ties us into understanding from a risk perspective, looking at the risks and opportunities in every deal that we do. And everybody knows it's crazy to say it that way, but it literally is ingrained in our DNA. It's everyday conversation.
0: Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And you mentioned, you know, it was before these things became... Corporate initiatives across the board and stuff, and I know that we probably have people who run construction companies on the smaller end who are listening to the, who might listen to that and go like, "Oh, that's bullshit" or "That's not real." But do you think that having those values does provide some de-risking or some value to the actual structures that are built because of diversity or because of sustainability? Does it allow your projects to? Both be economically more feasible, but also help build like a differentiator in the way that you might be selected to do the work in the first place. Like, does it actually lead to real new opportunities for the organization that to be value driven?
1: Also, like every single day, I've been there fifteen years. We are innovative in our approaches and providing solutions and thinking from a risk and opportunity lens. And I like to say risk and opportunity because everybody wants to focus on risk, right? Yeah. But it also is risk and opportunity. What can we do to work collaboratively, whether it be clients, whether it be governments, whether it be communities, to achieve what they need because ultimately that's what it comes down to, right? It's not a check the box exercise for us.
0: Yeah. Just having the building built, even as a further example, it doesn't mean leaving a legacy behind. It's just a building if the community isn't involved. And if you haven't brought in all of those other aspects that you're talking about that really make it lasting, make it a place that people want to be and want to interact with and feel proud of in their own, right? I mean, I think that one of the hard things is because you guys are so global as an organization is, and you have very, I would say, community-driven values, how do you demonstrate that at a community level when obviously they're aware of the footprint of the business going into these communities and building these things in the first place?
1: So I feel like our communication approach is there's continual communication at different levels, right? So it's not like a typical hierarchical organization. So we have different forums where we have check-ins from a project level that goes then to business unit level, that then goes regional, that then goes global, and that's on a continuous basis. So that to me is probably the best approach where you're understanding the community level and the project level from a global lens and from a regional lens, also. And that we're also sharing those across the globe. So people across our organization understand what we are doing in New York, right? Here, like geothermal, that's something new. This is what we're doing here. So that's consistently communication, I think, is one of our key advantages. Sometimes they say we over-communicate, but I say now it's better over-communicate than under-communicate.
0: Well, I think that's really important. I also think that any community building structures are looking to tie themselves into the global community or global economy as well. It's like, not only about that local municipality or that local state or the local country. It's like you're tied to a broader thing. One of the questions I have that I think only your team and the scale in which you guys operate can answer is how much effect does something like the global economy have to your abilities to live your values and continue to have that be part of the way that decision-making and risk is analyzed and those opportunities present themselves when so many organizations are feeling really uncertain about the economic future or what's going to happen in the next two or three years?
1: So diversification in your portfolio is key, right? So in these macroeconomic times, different sectors are affected differently. So we will see, for example, now residential real estate is largely impacted. But you will see that life sciences and healthcare are doing well. So, for us, there's the sector diversification, but I'd also say it's the business model diversification. So, we're integrated, we're construction, we're development, and we're investment management. Having that also, and not just being predominantly one construction business or development business, allows us to sustain with these global impacts that we're seeing right now.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because it's a way of de risking. And taking advantage of where the opportunities are right now, while maintaining the other elements of the business for when later opportunities open up in those other areas of the business, which makes a lot of sense. Because
1: you want to take that risk, right? Right. So it's like you want to make sure so you have that, what I call the safety aspect of it, but then you can actually still take risk. Because for now, people think in this environment, it's risky, but this is when you actually take up the opportunity. This is when you make that jump.
0: Right. It's what hopefully you've been building a good portfolio for in order to be able to have the advantage to take the opportunity in the marketplace. This is something that I'm very passionate about being a business person. I'm talking about, to a lot of risk managers, the transition from risk management being looked at as an organization that says it's a cost center, it's about reduction, it's about reduction, it's reduction, to being looked at as a true opportunity engine for the organization, for understanding how to take what's learned in this environment and apply it to a different opportunity in the future and continue to grow the business. This is really, I think, what the future of the modern risk programs, modern risk management looks like, is really looking at this across the board from a business standpoint and how it produces opportunities.
1: Exactly. It's business management and it's not a just a risk manager, right? It's everybody within an organization is managing risk.
0: How do you, or what suggestions do you have since you seem to have a lot of experience communicating across an organization? What are your key kind of communication principles? How do you make sure that the project manager on a project is hearing appropriately what you're trying to communicate as well as the executive? Like, how do you communicate in those levels when you're making decisions or when you're evaluating? What are your frameworks? What are some of the ways that you do that work?
1: I think you always have to look at your stakeholder and evaluate from their perspective. So if I'm looking at a project level risk versus a global enterprise risk, right? Versus regional risk, versus business unit risk, I always have to see where that person is coming from and understand it and listen. That's my biggest thing. Again, it's not a check the box exercise. It's listening and understanding what people are dealing with and how to help them? Or what are they doing really well that we should be replicating?
0: Right. I think that scope is really important. Like The scope, the lens at which you need to communicate. And then how do you communicate it in a way that they understand and not as in a way that, again, feels like it's preventing them from doing their job at hand, which they also have pride and care about getting done successfully and On time and on budget too, because I know that's the pressure that everyone in the organization feels from top to bottom. Yes. Where do you see technology starting to play an interesting role in your day-to-day? And where would you like to see technology sort of continue to evolve?
1: I know there's a pool of people now that are saying technology, AI, you know, bad things. Yeah. But I actually see technology as an opportunity and... What people I know have described, right, is that industrial revolution 4.0, where you start seeing certain roles, yes, will be obsolete because they will be replaced with technology. But then those people can progress in their capabilities and skills and move up. And that's what we want as a society, right? So that's where ultimately technology, I think, is helping us from a risk management perspective because. It can get rid of the mundane routine tasks and allow more efficiencies there, productivity, and allow people to really do the thinking and innovation that we need to solve today's problems, which are multiple at the same time. We have to be mindful, right, that our world is different now. Like, I was just going through a museum in for my kid's spring break, and I was looking at the evolution of farming. And just, right, how that changed and equipment and even now look at farming and how technology is helping farming.
0: Right. Yeah. I tend to have the same optimistic view of technology, especially when the technology is really being utilized like AI in these days. It utilized as a tool from within the industry in order to provide value to the industry. I think that coming from technology personally and then coming into the insurance industry or risk management industry and you know all of these tangentially related things, a lot of technology comes in and promises to disrupt versus promises to be a tool. And I think that the future of technology in these industries is being a tool and enabling better decision-making for the individuals that are responsible. Because technology, we can never really hold accountable, right? We always need to sort of hold a person accountable to something. So... I share that it allows us to up-level individuals whose time was taken up. In risk, one of the things I've found is the mundane things are the things that, as humans, we screw up doing because we think we know them so well, right? Where technology runs each process as a unique process and gets the results every single time. It doesn't just bypass it because it thinks it has bias on those things. So I think it's really an interesting time for technology emerging in, in, in this industry and in risk management, helping make accurate decisions. You did spend some time in the, the insurance world and in how data should play a role in that or how should data should be used. We're seeing an interesting thing happen right now with the data in the insurance world where you can actually bring your compliant data. So here's our contracts. Here's like all the COIs I tracked for this year to make sure that they were compliant. I would like a discount in my insurance this year, utilizing technology to actually get better deals for the organization with the underwriters and other people like that. When in the past, these hadn't been really utilized in that way to actually create business value, I think. So I think it's a real interesting interesting time. My last question for you is around just, you seem to have been on an intentional, although I know this is a narrative, intentional journey since very young what advice do you have for someone who's starting out in their career or is struggling to find their place in organization? What's your best business advice that you would give to someone or life advice you would give to someone in order to find themselves in the right role at the right company and their future?
1: Get comfortable being uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> That's a good one. So, so let me unpack that. So it just means that being uncomfortable is a state of life that you must be in in order for change to occur. Is that what you mean by that?
1: Correct. And coming from another risk person saying this, but you take risk. And the other one I use is leap and the net will appear. So if you're comfortable, sometimes that means you're not learning. Mm. If you're uncomfortable, you're being challenged. That means you're learning and you're evolving.
0: Do you think that advice living by it and truly... Because this is one of my favorite parts of the show. It's like, sometimes things sound like platitudes until you really unpack them and you realize how valuable they actually are to live. Does that mean that these things that are presented to you that cause pain help us build a netting, like I always call it a durability test, of what we know, of what we don't know? Was my knowledge able to contain this thing or did it rip a hole in my net? And then I have to recompile a new net based on new information and and new inputs and that becomes a normal part of your growth growth mindset, so to speak. Is that, I guess that's probably pretty challenging when you're going into all these different regions with different... (laughs) <laughs> different requirements, all of these things changing all the time. You like, I feel like your job must always be evolving. It's a moving target.
1: Also, you have to be agile, right? So yeah. that's kind of what it packs down to, right? You have to be agile and that's how you become resilient.
0: Uh, I love that. Resilience is the key to the game. I had a career coach once and um, he was talking to me and he wrote a New York Times bestseller that said the number one predictor of someone's success is their ability to be resilient or not. Like no other traits actually matter. It's resilience. That's the number one trait of successful people. And they all got it in different ways, right? And I definitely prescribe to yours, which is get comfortable being uncomfortable. Do the thing that you're afraid to do first when you wake up in the morning because you'll find that the rest of the day goes by a lot smoother once that thing is off your plate and you realize that you're capable of doing those things.
1: Yeah, or don't talk yourself out of it, right? Yeah, don't talk yourself Don't let it it be too mental. Like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do this.
0: let me try. Let me try. I really appreciate you joining Brick by Brick. I think that uh, your insight into where technology is going, your way of looking at risk in a broader context will be inspiring to people. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much.
1: Anytime, day by day, right?
0: All right, peace. Thank you. Thanks so much. Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. Find out how TrustLayer manages risk. So that the people can build the physical world around us, head over to TrustLayer.io, and then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the TrustLayer team, thank you for listening.